Welcome to Deep Look, Ultiworld's weekly radio show about the current state of Ultimate. I'm the host and the editor of Ultiworld, Charlie Eisenhood. Rolling solo today on the show, kind of a crazy day. LaGuardia, my generally my home airport, is all kinds of ugly today with thunderstorms in the area. So I've already had two flights canceled to Appleton, Wisconsin this weekend for uh, lightning and other reasons. So I'm kind of hoping that I get out at all and got ahead to the airport here pretty soon to try to catch a flight down to Atlanta, then up to Milwaukee, and then drive from Milwaukee to Appleton. So a bit of a journey in my future, if I can even get out of LaGuardia, but crossing my fingers, looking forward to some beautiful weather this weekend at the Elite Select Challenge. We're going to talk about that tournament a little bit later in the show. Got a few things to get to today. We got the AUDL Championship weekend all set with the uh, finals of most of the divisions taking place this past weekend. I was in D.C. for the game between the D.C. Breeze and the Montreal Royale that the D.C. Breeze won after a crazy lightning delay. And then I was up in Toronto broadcasting up there as well for the Eastern Conference final. Uh, A good game that the Rush came out again for the fifth straight year on top. So going to get into everything here coming up on the show. And we'll also talk a little bit about the ESPN2 ratings. We will get into that in just a bit. want to start, though, with the AUDL, where the favorites dominated. I mean, there's no way around that core fact that after all of the ups and downs of what was definitely a crazy regular season in the AUDL, at the end of the day... We see the same four teams that we would have expected to see in the final four reach the championship weekend in Montreal. So that means Madison comes out on top in the Midwest, even though they had a rough start to the year, lost to Minnesota a couple times. You've got Toronto coming out of the East, even though they got blasted by DC twice during the regular season. You got Dallas coming out of the South, even though they lost twice to Jacksonville in the regular season and lost badly on the road uh, in the second game of a back-to-back to Raleigh. But they went on the road to Raleigh and just took no prisoners. I mean, they dominated that game, and Raleigh never really in it after the first quarter. And then out west, you got San Francisco, despite lots of losses for them this season, coming out on top over the Los Angeles Aviators who beat San Jose the previous day. So at the end of the day, you get the best four teams. And I think some people will look at that and say, well, how boring, you know, so predictable, the AUDL, which in a lot of ways does mirror the NBA, where you really see the best teams win. I mean, this is something that's true about Ultimate in general. Upsets are pretty rare because of the amount of players on the team, uh, but also the ability for individual players to have an outsized impact. You know, you look at basketball as five on five. So a single player, literally, LeBron James, can take a team from being bad to being really good, you know, a playoff team that can go far in the playoffs. And then compare that to a sport like football where you got 11 players on the field at any given time. 
And outside of the quarterback position, very difficult for any individual player to have a huge impact over the course of a season. You can have, and frankly, you can have a great quarterback and still not be that good. We've seen it. And there's a lot of moving parts in football. Ultimate's kind of in between. You know, just picking up a superstar is not going to solve your problems if you have lots of other holes in your roster, but it's closer to basketball than it is to football. And I think that's what you're seeing play out in the AUDL where, you know, rosters are even smaller. The games are a little bit longer, which allows the team with an advantage to more often win over the course of a game. And so, you know, again, I think it's easy to look at that and say, oh, boring. But I'm actually pretty excited because I want to watch the best teams play at the end of the season. And all of the ups and downs of the regular season and the top teams taking losses, well, that is unusual. And at the end of the day, do you really want to see, you know, a San Jose taking on Montreal in the semis? I mean, you could be excited about the individual storylines there, but it's hard to get excited for a matchup between two teams that have never been there before. Well, obviously, San Jose, let me just take that back. San Jose has been there before and won multiple championships. Uh, But of course, talking about the individual rosters and kind of the personnel makeup, you, you don't really want to see that. I mean, you see it all the time in pro sports where... You know, some some team makes a storybook run and then the ratings are terrible because no one wants to watch the underdogs play. They want to see they want to see the Warriors versus the Cavaliers. They want to see the Patriots versus the Cowboys. This is just the way sports works and I'm excited. I'm heading up to Montreal on Friday a week from today, and I'm excited to watch those matchups because I think we're going to get at least one really, really good game, much like we did last year uh, when Seattle beat Madison in an absolutely classic game that still stands out for me as the best of the year. Uh, So I'm excited for that. I'm excited to watch the best players play, and I think that the AUDL, you know, for its flaws, does offer the excitement of some uncertainty during the regular season, but then you know, the opportunity for the good teams to come through in the playoffs. Because, you know, unlike, say, the NFL, teams are almost certainly guaranteed to get into the playoffs if they are good. Um, Except with the exception of the West Division, where things were just crazy this year. So at the end of the day, what do we get? Well, we get Toronto taking on San Francisco. And we get Madison taking on Dallas. And we get the top seed, the Madison Radicals, taking on the four seed, San Francisco Flamethrowers, and the two Dallas Roughnecks taking on the three, Toronto Rush. That's a pretty good lineup, and I think both of those games have some potential to be interesting. Frankly, the Roughnecks still feel, to me, like the favorite to win it all. 
said it at the start of the year. You cannot deny talent, especially when it comes down to crunch time. And the team is stacked. It's totally stacked. Jimmy Mickle, Dylan Freechild, maybe the two best players in the world right now. Kurt Gibson, who has something to say about that, but Kurt a little banged up still, kind of coming back from the pec injury. And But look, I mean, you're talking about three guys who on any given day could be the best player on the field at any tournament in the world. Freechild has been playing out of his mind this year. He was the best player on the World Games team. He was the best player at the U.S. Open. And I think we're going to continue to see him dominate at the AUDL Championship weekend. Kurt and Jimmy, I mean, what more can you say? They're the most complete ultimate players on the planet. I mean, these three guys are going to be out there and they're going to win another title. I just don't see it going down any other way unless they're missing a bunch of personnel, which I highly doubt is going to happen. The Toronto Rush kind of looked a little sloppy against D.C. They gave away a lot of breaks. Their defense was good. They really limited D.C., but they let the Breeze hang around in that game, and the Breeze missed a couple opportunities to make that game interesting in the fourth quarter. So... At the end of the day, I really just don't know that Toronto is going to be able to hang with Dallas. Rematch of last year's semi where they didn't hang. But, you know, they have Mark Lloyd. And Mark Lloyd is right in that conversation with can be the best player on the field at any tournament on the planet. He was exceptional. I said on last week's show, if Mark Lloyd plays, Toronto's going back to championship weekend. If he doesn't, they don't. And it's hard to argue with the fact he comes in I think he has four goals, three assists, and two blocks. I mean, a play on the D-line. The guy's a beast. So could he will them to a victory over Dallas? It's not out of the realm of possibility, but for me, and of course they may have a little home field advantage with folks coming down from Toronto to watch them play in Montreal. But uh, for me, I think Dallas probably four and a half, maybe five and a half point favorite in that game. The other game, very exciting. Madison versus San Francisco. These two teams haven't necessarily met in a big stakes match, but the players have. So the core of this Flamethrowers team was on the Spiders a couple years ago, and the Spiders and the Radicals played some tremendous games in the championship weekend setting back a couple years ago. I like the Flamethrowers. I think they're the favorite. But it feels much closer. I think that the Radicals will probably bring some fans. Feels like. It's the kind of team that you can imagine bringing some fans. I think they had 3,000 people at their uh, playoff game that they hosted last weekend. And, uh, you know, we saw last year in Madison when they played at Championship Weekend that they could really draw. And so will some folks make the trip? Yeah, I think they will. It's not that far from Madison to Montreal theoretically drivable although i imagine it's not a very pleasant drive let's take a quick look i have no sense of the geography here it's a five it's all it's under six hours oh i'm sorry that's no that is madison new jersey let's go ahead and uh double check the uh, math there madison wisconsin to montreal yeah 16 hours so probably not gonna drive 
but it's not a not an impossible flight. And, you know, if somebody was really into it, you could make the drive. Anyway, I think Madison will be competitive in that game. There's a little bit more buy-in from the Radicals. I shouldn't say a little bit. There's a lot more buy-in into preparing for the AUDL and trying to win in the AUDL than we have seen from the Flamethrowers uh, this season. You know, the Flamethrowers have at times completely checked out and not even tried in games or just sent skeleton rosters. They've had a million people playing in various games. But at the end of the day, the talent is there. The talent is real. And if they bring a strong roster, I think they will have a very, very good chance to win that game. For me, I put it at about two and a half points to the flamethrowers for the spread. So, but I think it's realistic that Madison could win. And of course, Madison trying to get that sour taste out of their mouth after last season when they blew that huge lead against Seattle. And if we do get the final between Dallas and San Francisco, which I think is most the most likely scenario, I think we're going to have a, a really great game. Great game. I think that the flamethrowers will be the underdogs, but not by a lot. Maybe two and a half, three points. And uh, the Roughnecks will have their hands full. I think the, the Roughnecks have been able to kind of skate by this season. And yes, they have clearly played their best ultimate in the playoffs against Jacksonville and Raleigh. I mean, just completely neutralized those two teams that had been really dominant throughout throughout most of the regular season. I mean, Jacksonville made Dallas look bad at times during the regular season. And then they had absolutely no answers in the first round of the playoffs. So you get Dallas versus San Francisco. San Francisco is going to bring a defense that that the Dallas just won't have really seen. And I think that that's something that's probably true for the Roughnecks for the entirety of their existence. You know, Raleigh's got a good defense. But I think it's tougher for Raleigh to be as effective with the kinds of defenses they like to run in the AUDL versus in the club because of the size of the field. And I think that, you know, you look at Ring of Fire and their defense, it's just more effective than what the Flyers are able to do. And that's because of the field a little bit. And it's also just because of the mindset, etc. The Flamethrowers, though, I just think have more individual defenders that are capable of playing just one-on-one shut down your guy against the top-tier talent that Dallas will have. That doesn't mean that I think they're going to win. But, you know, you look at last year, Dallas plays Toronto. Toronto's defense is okay, nothing special. And then they play Seattle. And again, you know, you're looking at a team in Seattle that's good, but didn't really buy in in a big way and didn't have the same caliber of defense that the flamethrowers will be able to bring if they are at full strength. So, look, I think it's going to be very exciting. We're going to have a crew up in Montreal for the weekend. We're going to be doing some pre and post stuff and some some other things outside of the uh, course of the two games themselves, or the three games themselves, I should say. So definitely tune in and follow along. It should be a, a fun weekend of Ultimate. 
All right, ESPN2, the numbers came back. was waiting impatiently for them to get released. Uh, AwfulAnnouncing.com, as always, posts sports TV ratings. Much appreciated. It's uh, it's great to be able to check in on the numbers, and Douglas Pucci does a great job over there. And I've been uh, t- twittering with, with Doug Pucci for, for years now whenever games were airing on ESPNU. And uh, here the numbers are in. Ultimate's ESPN debut draws 150,000 viewers, which easily makes it the biggest live audience that an Ultimate game has ever had. It's not, it's not close. I mean, just to put the numbers in perspective, if we have a great game that we stream, top, you know, we're talking about quarters at nationals for club or college, top tier game, Great game, close game, people hearing about the game and tuning in during the course of the game because they're excited to see what happens at the end. You know, we're talking about maxing out at around uh, probably four-ish thousand concurrent viewers and maybe, you know, over the course of the game getting ten to 15,000 viewers. So we're talking about an order of magnitude and this is for a game that had no exposure, no marketing, just showed up in the middle of summer in primetime on ESPN2. And look, does this mean that there's this hidden group of viewers that just cannot wait to consume some ultimate frisbee? No, that's not what happened here. This is the value that you get for being on ESPN2. This is why it matters. This is why... I did an emergency podcast a couple months ago when the uh, when the ESPN deal was announced, the new renewal with these ESPN2 games, and said it was such a big deal. Because the network just simply is going to give you viewers by virtue of it existing on the network. That's how cable TV works. It's push. It pushes out content to people who may not know that they want to watch ultimate frisbee and versus you know live streaming which is total total pull you have to be able to draw an audience directly people have to care people have to go to the website or to youtube and tune in actively whereas people might just have espn2 on in the background of their house because it's just the middle of the day and they're watching some espn2 I do think it was marginally helpful that there was a live tennis match, uh, finals of a tennis match. I think it was Madison Keys versus Coco Vandeweghe that led into the ultimate, which was a nice lead-in because a lot of people watching tennis in the lead-up to the U.S. Open, and uh, the numbers on that, I think, were pretty good. Let's see if I can find the... I think it was, if I remember correctly, it was like 180... 186,000 for that final, and that dropped right into Ultimate, which got 150,000. Now, that's a little bit below average for the time slot. The, you know, the 8 to 11 primetime slot, I think at this week, averaged 167,000 viewers, and Ultimate was from 7 to 9, so kind of in the middle, or at least the beginning end of that primetime window, and did a little bit below that. But look, it's, it, these numbers are not bad. They're not amazing, that's for sure. This is not something that's probably going to make ESPN 
sit up and say, wow, we need a lot more Ultimate Frisbee, because I think it's more of a sign that ESPN2 delivers viewers, right? The value here is going from ESPN to Ultimate, whereas you can think of a different sport like the NFL, where the value arrow is going in the opposite direction, right? The NFL is going to deliver you 20 plus million fans every game. Think about that, 20 20 million fans. On on primetime big games in the NFL, it's like 40 million people tune in. 40 million people. We're at 150,000. Gives you some perspective. The Super Bowl, by the way, does like 110 million, maybe more. It's the most watched television program every year, easily by far. And most of the top 10 is NFL games. Anyway, Frisbee. On ESPN2, 150,000 viewers, it's a big deal. Because think about the exposure that you're getting for the sport. It's just, we've never had this chance before to reach people on this scale. ESPNU doesn't even come close. The college finals did 70,000 people in the men's division, and I think 49,000 or maybe 39,000 in the women's division. And that's, again... Because the channel is just a lot smaller. People don't tune into ESPNU, but they watch ESPN2. So more than double what we saw from the men's division final this year at the college championships. And, um, you know, that was a good game. It was not necessarily a clean game. I talked a little bit about this last week. But uh, there were some, some great layouts, some good highlights. And, of course, we saw people getting excited about it on social media. Which is which is pretty cool, um, you know. Do the ratings? Wh- what do they mean? Of course, people are going to want to talk about what they mean. I think it just again goes to show you that there's a lot of value in being on being on a major sports cable channel. I mean, the only bigger thing you could be on is ESPN straight up linear, which would probably double or triple the number of viewers just because it's ESPN. I mean, think about how many bars around the country just had the ultimate game on because it was on ESPN2. A lot. And those numbers are generally not accounted for in the Nielsen ratings. So how many people tuned in? I mean, of course, these are all based on statistics and uh, very sort of carefully weighted scientific sampling procedures. It's an estimate at the end of the day. But still, many, many people saw it. I saw somebody on Twitter say that they saw some new faces at Pickup that week in their local community because of the ESPN2 game. I mean, how cool is that? How cool is that? And that's why I think you've got to do everything you can if you're USA Ultimate to continue to foster this relationship. Try to continue to draw more viewers, get into better time slots, get more games on television if possible. But again, I mean, the fact that we're getting games on ESPN2 at all is amazing. It's amazing. And this is exactly why it is so amazing. Okay, finally today, we're going to talk a little bit about the Elite Select Challenge. I got to get going to the airport here pretty soon. We're going to have some previews up on the site as well, so definitely tune in for that. I mean, clearly the biggest and most important thing about this tournament is that it's going to decide a lot of bids. The bid opportunities are sitting there for teams and if you have a good weekend, you could earn your region a bid. These are the teams on the bubble for the most part. We don't have 
the revolvers and the Molly Browns and the Sockeyes and the monster teams that are guaranteed to finish top five in the rankings. This is, as you look at your top seed in each division, in the men's division, it's high five out of Michigan. In the mixed division, it's Seattle BFG, who had a great pro league challenge, but are largely unproven. And in the women's division, it's Seattle underground. So, you know, these are good teams. These are teams, of course, for the most part, in the elite flight, meaning that they finished bottom eight at nationals. And then teams from the bo- the top end of the select flight, which means that they you know lost in the game to go at regionals. So there's a lot of opportunity for teams uh, and, and a lot of opportunity for us to get eyes on teams that we don't know much about. You know, Boston Dig, who beat Ironside at a warm-up tournament earlier this year, they're the two seed in the men's division. And how good are they? I, we don't really know. We, I mean, there's, you, can, you can speculate. You can look at the roster. You can say, well, they beat Ironside. But, you know, they beat an Ironside that was missing a ton of players. And they won by one point. So what does that mean? They get, uh, they get to play Gorilla. I mean, that, that game, Dig versus Gorilla, theoretically could decide a bid. Does that borderline bid go to Dig or does it go to Gorilla? Now, Dig is in a good position because they beat Ironside earlier this year, but if they have a bad weekend, they're going to burn up those points. You know, you look at the mixed division, we get to see Wildcard at an actual, you know, challenging tournament for them. And how do they stack up? Will we see them in the final against BFG? Where are those teams? What are we going to see from these teams now that, you know, everyone's starting to get their legs underneath them and it's not early July? Uh, Wildcard looked great at the Select Flight Invite, but they also didn't face teams of the caliber that they will see this weekend. So we're going to see how they stack up. In the women's division, a lot of teams on the bid bubble. Tons. You know, can Bent pull off a bid for the Northeast? What's going to happen with Rival and Nemesis in the Great Lakes? Uh, you've got Wildfire in the mix in the Southwest. There's a lot of teams that are going to be able to have that one or two games this weekend where it's like, hey, we go out and win this game. We're going to wrap up a bid. So stay tuned. Cody Mills is going to have a whole analysis of exactly what teams are going to need to focus on doing. And that'll be in the previews. So definitely stay tuned for that. Uh, I guess I should make some picks. I think I'm going to take Heist in the women's division. At full strength, I just think they're the most talented team at this tournament. And the buzz is that Underground's going to be missing a couple folks. I wouldn't be shocked if Nightlock won or Showdown actually played much better than I anticipated at the U.S. Open. We saw Rival look really good earlier this year. I think you know those teams... What's exciting about this tournament is that it's not obvious. It's not an slam dunk, oh, we're going to see Brute versus Riot in the final. You've got a lot of teams that, in the right circumstances, could come away with a win. So I'm taking Heist. In the mixed division, I'm taking Wildcard. I have no reason to doubt them. I haven't seen a lot of BFG personally, so I'm not too sure where they're going to end up, but I'm a little skeptical that they're going to capture that same magic that they had at the Pro Elite Challenge, but we shall see. I think that's going to be very interesting. What if they're really good and just crush everyone this weekend? That's going to make the Northwest a lot of fun. Could have a great final between Mixtape and BFG, and you know maybe you have two semis contenders out of the Northwest this year. Uh, 
But uh, yeah, I'm taking wild card. I liked what I saw. Their offense was untouchable at select flight, and they just mostly smashed teams. So I think that they're for real. I think that people are underrating them a little bit. I could see them moving up into the top three after this weekend. In the men's division, it's really tough. I think the most talented team at this tournament is probably double wide if they bring a full roster. But high five's real good, and they could win. I'm not sold on the teams in Pool D. I honestly think Pony's probably the best team in that pool and could end up playing a really fun semifinal against high five. And, uh, you know, how good is Dig? Are they legit enough to win this tournament? I think it's a real test for them. I mean, first and foremost, they need to make sure they don't lose a bid. But I also think that this is the kind of tournament that they can use as a measuring stick. You know, you're not playing Revolver and Sakai, where it's if you lose, even if you lose bad, you can just say, well, it was Sakai. Here, you're playing teams that are good but flawed. And you got a young team, a lot of good young talent from age, you know, 20 to 25. Can you hang with these established programs? Ah, man, I got to make my pick. Uh, tough, tough. I like the path that Double Wide has, and I think I'm going to take Double Wide to win. I think the the talent is very real on that team. And I guess the, the scary question mark is, are they worried at all about being fresh for next weekend, a championship weekend? Possibility, but I think we're going to see a strong performance from a team that has really put the time and energy into a really good offseason and merging with hip and all that. So I like double wide, but I certainly won't be shocked with, you know, a handful of teams winning in any of these divisions should be a lot of fun. Stay tuned for more coverage of the elite select challenge over the course of the weekend. We're going to be filming games, assuming that I can get there so far. My flight down to Atlanta before I connect through to Milwaukee is still on. So hopefully I make it. Thanks so much, everybody. Short show this week, but I appreciate you tuning in. We'll have a lot more next week as we look ahead to the ADL Championship weekend in a deeper way, and we talk about the results of the Elite Select Challenge. Should be a lot of fun. We'll have Nathan Jessen on as well. Till then, talk to you then.